0: Wow, what a morning. Hey, Harvest, please open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. If you need to use one of the Bibles behind the seats there, it's page 179, I believe, Joshua chapter 3. Last Sunday, uh, we journeyed back into Exodus 19, where God's people, who had already been miraculously uh, brought out and called out of slavery from Egypt, uh, met with God at Mount Sinai. And uh, God was behind it all. Uh, He was behind their uh, calling out. He was behind their bringing them out. He was behind them bringing them to him. Uh, He was behind showing more of himself to them at Sinai. He was behind being the one who was inviting them into a unique covenant relationship to be an unlike people for him to the world. And then on top of that, I'll just add, consider the fact that in light of the fact they had been slaves, and slaves by definition and by reality are, are, are used possessions. And that's all they knew, that's all they knew. That's all they knew, their parents knew, their grandparents knew, their great-grandparents knew. That's all they knew being a used possession. Yet God called them out, and God at Sinai was offering and inviting them not to be a used possession, but in the text from last Sunday, if you remember, to be a treasured possession. They had never known being a treasured possession ever. And God was offering them that reality. Just so cool. Uh, out of Exodus 19. Well, today we're standing in uh, Joshua 3. It's we'll just say round numbers, it's about 40 years later. Uh, The leadership baton in Joshua chapter 1 has been passed from Moses. Moses has died, and the baton has been passed to Joshua. God has informed Joshua and the people that he will be with them and that he will not leave or forsake them. And out of that, he calls them to be strong and courageous. They're not to be strong and courageous in their own strength. They're not to be strong and courageous because of who they think they are or who they want to be. They're strong and courageous because of who God is and that God is with them. Them. that's where the strength comes and it is not only a time for god's people to remember that god was behind it all in joshua 3 but this is a time to remember that god is in front of it all and we're going to see that i think out of the text it was so intriguing to me i'd put these five kind of narrative texts together now through easter and and i pulled my sermon notes up from last time i preached uh, joshua 5, uh, joshua 3 and and I knew about where it, when it was, but I honestly, I did not realize this. I pulled out my sermon notes. I look in Joshua chapter 3, and I preached Joshua 3 five years ago on our five-year anniversary Sunday. <laughs> I didn't know that. I really didn't know that. Oh. God's in the timing of details. Listen to what I wrote that Sunday. This is the intro right out of my notes. Harvest Bible Chapel in the U.S. Five years! Wow, I have wow in my notes. <laughs> what a joy to stand and look back and how God has worked, big God! I went on to have in the notes, hey, we do not want to be that looking back only church, right? Uh, you know where the past was the best of times where the opportunities were better in 2007, where the sky was brighter in 2008, where the grass was greener in 2009, where people were friendlier in 2010, where the memories were sweeter in 2011, and when God was bigger in 2012. Not to us. Not us. Listen, we look to the back, but we press ahead. We pause to be still and reflect on what the Lord has done in our past, but we do so with a mindset I had written that what God has done in our past would drive our feet forward with strength and courage. It's more of you, Lord, more of knowing you, more of seeing you, more of uh, people coming to you, more for your glory, Lord. And then I said, happy five years, anniversary uh, Harvest. Uh, Bibles to Joshua 3, what a great text for today. So I'll say, five years later, happy 10 years, Harvest. Bibles to Joshua three. What a perfect text for today. Well, as I noted, um, if you're visiting with us, I'm kind of reflecting back on uh, five sermons over the past, and a number of you had had some input on that, and and we're doing these over these five Sundays through Easter, and uh, just you've likely noticed last Sunday in your sermon notes page, because it's not necessarily the norm that the sermon notes page is like all blank. And uh, there's one of those things, especially you, for you who love blanks and love filling it in and feel like you accomplish something by that, um, you might be thinking, "Well, wow, that's kind of odd. Why no sermon blanks? Uh, I just want for you to know it's on purpose. Uh, actually, there's no, going to be no sermon blanks uh, this Sunday or the next three. Why? Well, far too often, in fact, I'll just say from my experience nearly always, narrative texts of Scripture are preached and taught didactically. It's kind of classroom data teaching. It gets ultimately broken down in three or four or five functioning to-do action points. And I'm not saying that anything's wrong with that. But I will say this. It it bypasses the experience of the text. And it engineers the text. Uh, I am so very grateful for the great didactic teaching I've received over the years and for the didactic texts of Scripture like the epistles, where where it's more, it's not telling the stories of, it's just getting the information and the data of who God is and it tells truths and gives direction. I'm so grateful for that. But I'll say this, to teach, to preach narrative texts of Scripture as didactic kind of only, it bypasses the whole literary genre of narrative. God could have just made it all epistolary-like. But he didn't. Narrative by its literary form, by its literary genre, takes the reader on a journey. That, that's a big, big part of why, what narrative is about. The reader doesn't just learn truths. Uh, it, the reader sees and feels and experiences and encounters truths in real life. I'll say it this way. Biblical narrative takes the reader to encounters with God. Personally, I think one of the greatest reasons why so many people lack an interest and a fervor for the Lord is because they lack biblical encounters with God. And God is kind of a, uh, it comes across that Scripture is just engineering people to God. Sorry, engineers, I used to be one, okay? Um, I'm not trying to... uh, bad mouth engineers in any kind of way, but you know what I'm talking about. We kind of engineer uh, things to a place. But scripture and narrative brings people to encounter God. Mankind loves to manufacture God. We um, love to make God manageable and measurable and palatable and graspable. But step outside of that. And I will say, you kind of step into some risky territory of narrative. Because now you have experience. You have things that occur. You have people wrestling with God. You have situations that blow your mind. And that's why I love narrative. 70% of God's word is narrative. And you are supposed to feel narrative. That's the genre of it. You're supposed to experience it, and you are supposed to encounter God in it. And I just want for you to know why I love narrative so much. It's because it takes us to an encounter with God. And friends, on our 10-year anniversary, here we go. We're going to encounter God together in his word, okay? So God, I pray for your help, and I pray that you would show yourself, and I pray that you would be marvelous right now. And God, I pray that we would not only see you, but that we would behold you with every sense of our being. Take us on a journey right now, God. Take us on a journey with you to see you, to know you, to to, to be able to encounter you here together on this very special day, God, because it's all about you. And we just want to know more of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Okay, they're on a seven-mile journey. The text helps us to understand where they're at and where they're going to. It's seven miles. Now, you may think, okay, seven-mile walk, no big deal. Okay, you've got to understand the massiveness, the hugeness of this endeavor. This is somewhere in the area of like some two million people. That would be like all of central Indianapolis and the surrounding communities. Do you realize how big these people, not large, but how many of them there are? It is like taking all of central Indianapolis and all of the surrounding communities and saying, okay, time to load up and move seven miles. I mean, the endeavor of that, the task of that is just mind-blowing in it. They had no VW van that big. There there was no train that they could all just get on and take. They had to walk and move everything. And by the way, just moving of God's people was a massive endeavor of itself. Numbers 10 and and in the Old Testament tells about the process of of moving God's people. And and the tabernacle had to be taken down. And and then the process was underway. And then uh, the tribe of Judah would set out first because they were structured in, in a certain layout. They weren't just camping wherever they wanted by tribe and this whole thing with the tabernacle in the center. And they get up and they move in a certain way and then they set themselves down in a certain way. And so they do this seven miles getting position and they're just now on the west side uh, or the east side of the Jordan River. And Joshua rose early in the morning. Absolutely he would because you got two million people to move. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. By the way, it doesn't tell us exactly how long they were lodging there, but, but, but it does tell us here, verse 2, at the end of three days, now were they there three days, or was that after they got lodged and everything in position, and then after a period of time, a week or whatever it is, in the three days, here we go, verse 2, at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people saying, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet, there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, the Ark of the Covenant, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. It's the third day, um, being informed of what will happen. On a third day, the priests will pick up the ark and they'll head to the Jordan and all will follow at a distance. 2,000 cubits, you can look down at the bottom of your to see how long that is, let me just work the math out for you. Uh, It's about 3,000 feet, there are 5,280 feet in a mile. It's just over a half mile. Half mile, about how long is a half mile? If you were to stand right back here at the back of the parking lot and you were to look uh, uh, straight south, you would see Starbucks, right? And and all God's people said, thank the Lord for that. And uh, and you would see that that is a half mile. Uh, How do I know that? Because I drove my car. (laughs) And looked at the odometer. And it was a half mile. And it's there. It's a half mile. That's how far back. By the way, why a half mile? Why not 10 miles? Because you can't see what's going on. But if you're just on your way out today, literally, on your way out, just go take a look and you can see. You can't see details, but you can see enough. And again, these are two million-ish people in this endeavor. The norm was, by the way, that they could not touch the ark, but the norm was not that you had to stand a half mile back from the ark. This is unique. Something else is going on. What is God trying to do? In verse 4, it tells us, in order that, there's a purpose for it, in order that you may know the way that you shall go for you have not passed before. By the way, that is one of the sweetest, kindest, most telling statements of our God. God is saying, listen, I'm about to take you somewhere. You don't know anything about this territory. You you don't know what's on the other side of the Jordan. And I just want for you to know this. I'm going in front of. And I just want for you to follow me. That is so cool. Just how reassuring, how comforting. And not just so that they would feel it, but they would know it. That they would see it, that they would behold it, and they would be able to picture physically in the physical world that God is going before. And we're going to see this unfold in the text. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow... The Lord will do wonders among you. We need to camp on this just for a few here. Consecrate yourselves. Uh, What is that? It's a purposed pause or a strategic stop. It's a purposed pause, a strategic stop. And what's the purpose behind it? To, to, To prepare, to consider, to think. Listen, if you've been told that God is going to do a work in three days and take the next two days, essentially, to pause and prepare, to stop and to strategically get yourself set for, I mean, think about that, what would be taking place there. Because God is saying that he is going to go before. Remember Exodus 19, last Sunday, when God told them the same thing. I am going to allow you to hear me as I speak to Moses. So I want for you to take a couple days and get ready for that. And it was the whole idea of getting their minds ready for it, getting their function ready for it, even getting their passions all oriented and ready for the Lord. And God is saying, I'm going to do something before you that is awesome. And I want for you to get ready for it. Prepare for what God is going to do. He is about to show himself. Get your life ready. A purpose pause, a strategic stop. prepared to encounter God. And it says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. By the way, I love the idea of this word. It carries this idea that because before you, I am going to impress you. God literally is saying... I'm going to show you more of myself, and you are going to be so cranked up about it. You can't even imagine it. Hey, friends, God wants to impress himself before us so that we would see more of him. He wants to reveal himself. By the way, I think honestly that just causes a bit of a moment here to pause and allow me to ask this question. How impressed are you with God? I mean that seriously. I mean really, how impressed are you with God? And before you get too quick and go, yeah, really impressed. If we are impressed by God, would it not show in areas of our life? And how we handle things? Because the more impressed we are with God, the more God becomes impressed in our lives and the situations of our lives. How impressed are you with God? I would suggest that we have a tendency to punify God. We carve him, we we structure him down to just be enough above us that we can call him God and us not. But I think we're sometimes afraid of putting God to where he really should be. Because if he really is what he is, then that means I, we might have to change and think differently. We tend to mentally manage God. But in doing so, we limit him. Some pastors and elders were together yesterday. Praying about... Uh, <laughs> will think God's at work. Someone prayed a prayer who even just said in that time I think everyone's going to think I'm a freak by praying this but I'm going to pray it anyway. And I kind of did. Kind of thought he was a freak. <laughs> like come on God really? You can do that? And even if God didn't I loved being pushed. And impressed by God. That someone could say, God, you could even do this. Friends, Yahweh is no little league deity. Be impressed by God. Verse 6. And the scripture is going to help us. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. By the way, I'm reading from English Standard Version. The word before in front of is throughout this whole text. The Ark. I don't think we really get a lot about the Ark, so let me just pause here and give a little information on the Ark. We'll call this some archaeology. Uh, uh, so... Uh, The ark carries uh, a very central role in Joshua 3 and 4. In fact, it's used 17 times, it's mentioned 17 times in these two chapters. Uh, The ark, uh, it's a box. It it contains some things. It contains the 10 words, the 10 commandments. It, it, It also contains a pot with manna during the time of the wandering. It also contains Aaron's rod. By the way, might I mention this? It contains what God has done. And what God has done is a reminder of what God can do. Amen. It has two cherubim on top of it, as you can see on the screen as an image of it. Um, it is said that God sits and God speaks from the center of the ark, from the cherubim, center of the cherubim there. The ark is the physical representation of God's visible presence. Ark is, by the way, it's not a military thing. There's some practical application in this. The ark is is not some divine tank that they just take and they point it and shoot it wherever they want. Like sometimes we can think of God for ourselves God, do that. God, take care of that. And we kind of think that God is like our moving divine tank to do whatever we want for our bidding. It's not that. It's also just not a religious idol to be worshipped. You don't bow down and worship uh, the thing made of wood and gold. It's a representation of God's manifest presence. It's a physical reminder that God is with us. And it is from there that has this idea of what God has done and who he is. And he is the one that is above it all. And God puts himself right in front of us, right in front of us. And we know who he is, and he is willing and wanting to show himself. Verse 6, Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for the Lord will do wonders among you. Lord, we're ready. Lord, show us more of you. So here they are. Rightly prepared, rightly positioned. Before reading some more, let me give you a little bit of geography along with the archaeology. First, the Jordan Valley. Uh, It goes, as you can see, the Jordan Valley is up. uh, We talked last week in Exodus uh, 19. We were down in Mount Sinai by the tip of the peninsula there. We're up further, as you can see on the center screen in that box. That's the Jordan River flows from north to south from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. Uh, The Israelites have been traveling up from the south and are coming in from the east side, heading uh, eventually west across the river. As far as the valley width, how wide the valley is, not the river, the width of the valley area, it's anywhere from up top to about three miles wide. Down to the bottom, we're actually in the area where they're crossing, is about 14 miles wide. So it kind of gets wider the further it goes down. That's the valley. Now let me kind of talk about the river uh, with this, the actual flowing river. Um, uh, it, there are areas of it that are kind of a lazy flowing river where it's just kind of like you'd want to get an inner tube or whatever and sit and float down and it kind of moves. But there are also other areas where elevation drops and there are stronger current. This is during just normal parts of the year. Uh, but uh, So it's anywhere from 90 feet to 100 feet, so that's like 30 to 35 yards wide. Uh, all the way to three feet to 12 feet deep. So it's not that deep during normal time of the year. Uh, But then at flood stage, at flood stage, the Jordan River goes anywhere from 200 yards wide to a mile wide, with the region just above the Dead Sea being about a half mile to a mile wide. Again, it's as wide as from the back of the parking lot to Starbucks at this time of the year that they're crossing. How do we know that that's the time? Look at verse 15 in chapter 3. There's a per- parenthetic statement towards the end of verse 15 that says now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. And there's some other things in as the text tells when are they crossing? They're crossing at the time of the flood. They're crossing at the time when the waters are at their highest. They're crossing a territory now that's a half mile to a mile wide of river down in a valley area that's 12 to 14 miles wide in the valley. And you have some 2 million people crossing this whole thing. There's strong currents moving at the time. So with some of that map out and some of that information, let's pull back into the story. Here we go, verse 7. So the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Again, God is all about being a with God. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, again, among, with you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over Where? Into, before you. Before you into the Jordan. Let's pause there. I just say this, behold the ark. Behold God's visible presence moving before, moving in front of. It's like a, you've seen in Gladiator, uh, someone's mentioned that before here, or you've seen in other movies where like they have the king kind of on a seat, and they carry them through. This is essentially God, the presence of God is being carried before the people. And God's presence is about to do something mind-blowing. He is going before you and into. By the way, I love that into idea. Friends, God is not far off. God is not distant. God is not uh, disconnected. God is not asleep on a lounge chair with drool hanging out of his mouth and one eye half open. God is directly involved. God is a part of what's going on. In fact, so much so that he'll go before and he'll go into. Verse 12. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. <laughs> the, uh, the past engineer, the past a uh, developer guy in me I'll talk about it in just a second gets loves this stuff by the way let me make a comment leaders lead leaders lead here god in this is god is god could have just floated the ark He could have just had it hover and yet God brings from uh, among the tribes, one from each of the tribes to participate as representatives. of I And mean, here they carry this out. They're engaged as well. God's people are a part of it. And, and might I say, leaders lead in it. And, and God's leaders lead God's people from, place, uh, from the place of being out front. I want to be careful here. I don't want to take narrative and apply it to every kind of thing. It's one of the greatest mistakes with narrative is we just make it whatever we want to be, that their story has to be our story. But in this, there are some principles that come out. And in it, you just see again and again and again through Scripture that God calls his leaders to lead people, to be out front. And to be out front, not distance from, but with them in it. I would just suggest that's exactly what Jesus did. And God's leaders stand in it. And they stand in it so that God's people can pass through it. And where are the soles of the feet of the leaders of the priests to rest? They are to rest in the waters. They're going to be in it before everybody else is. And where are God's people located during all this? A half mile back on a sloping ledge watching this take place. Get ready. Here we go. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before in front of the people, And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. And the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heavy heap very far away uh, at Adam. That's about 25 to 30 miles north of where this is going on. Uh, The city that is beside Zarathon, And uh, those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. A few things. Let's just picture it. So you are there and you are in the audience watching what takes place. And you see the 12 selected from the tribes. They are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, I'm trying to figure out what's the best direction. I'm going to do it so that you can see like you're part of them. And so here they are a half mile away, and they are coving uh, carrying this. And they come down and they come to the brink. And at this point in time, the river is about a, a half mile at minimum, probably wide, and it's flowing. It's moving pretty quickly because it's flood stage. Oh, by the way, in it, it's also not like all just desert beach ground. It's rough terrain. It, it's kind of nasty terrain in some ways. It literally would be kind of like walking from here across with all the brush and the trees and the bushes and the stuff. Like It's that kind of territory. So it wasn't just like a beach where nothing it's just nasty ground to walk across but here they go they come through they're carrying the ark through and and i'm just wondering (laughs) if i was one of those guys i am like okay here we go seriously can you imagine what it's going through the dude's minds up here like like how far do we have to go in man and, uh, and and so they go and they start stepping in. It's like you know, at first I'm kind of okay with a little bit of the water getting on my bare feet or whatever it is. And then as it gets, and then they're supposed to stand in it, right? And they're supposed to rest. I love that terminology as it talks about that in the language that they're supposed to step in the water and they're supposed to rest in the water. By the way, not like they're supposed to be there, like trying to kick the water, you know, to part. I mean, they're just supposed to stand there. Why would you just stand there? Because I'm just guessing. Because a couple reasons. One might be that because God wants it to look like they have nothing to do with it. So that God can get all the glory for it. But yet they are participants in it. And then, can you imagine, you, you are carrying this, and you step in the water, and, and you get, I don't know, maybe they got in five feet by the time, because the, the, the ark is not uh, that long, but it's also not that short. And, and so, you've got to be into the water a little ways, and you're kind of like, okay, like, come on, man, like, like do the thing here. But, but so they go in, uh, how long did it take? I have no idea. But we kind of get this idea that as they came in, all of a sudden, the water Wait a second here, engineer mind of me, 25 miles up, it's all of a sudden halting. Look at the text, and that's what it's saying. And God is building it up. Does that mean that God just like stopped the flow of the water? Or does that mean that the flow of the water, uh, 25 miles up in, in the area of Adam, is there just building up and building up? Because what about the people up there, man? And then, all of a sudden, if it just cuts off, is it like a straight wall? Or how did God do that? I tell you, this is the kind of stuff do not walk away not thinking about. Because out of it, it's not trying to explain God. It's trying to fall increasingly in awe of God. And by the way, if it's 25 miles up, listen, water flows, right? Right? And did they stand and rest in the water? I mean, how long does it take if God was like 25 miles up, and then all of a sudden the water keeps running? I mean, I would think that takes a while. I used to do water flow calculations back in the day and with some things. and, And so, like, it takes a while. So are they standing there until all of a sudden it just, like, keeps going? Or did God, what did God do with the 25 miles of water? I have no idea, but I do know this. God was awesome in it. And all of a sudden, you're standing there with the ark. I don't know if it was seconds that God somehow just pulled the water down, made it disappear. Uh, God is the PhD of all physics, by the way. But can you imagine standing there and all of a sudden you feel the water? going down, oh man, I so don't think I would be able to be one of those guys there, because I would be like, this is awesome, uh, something like that, what is going on here, and then you're watching, you're holding the ark, and you're standing still, and the water is dropping, or the water is flowing, or, or, and, and disappearing in it, and you are just like, crazy, Friends, I do not think this is a moment where everybody is just like, hmm, this is special. (laughs) And not just for the ones who are in the ark with their feet in the water, but for the ones that are a half mile back. By the way, I don't think they're all in monk mode right now. Can you imagine looking at that and you see the river flooding a half mile wide from the back of the parking lot to Starbucks and all of a sudden you see it disappearing. I'm telling you, if nothing else, our church is going crazy (laughs) at that moment. We'll let all the other non-crazy churches just (laughs) bless your hearts. (laughs) We are celebrating this because oh my word, God is involved right here. This is unexplainable. And can you imagine having your children? Bobby, Sally, pay attention. Do you see what's going on, man? Feel it. See it. Picture it. Encounter it. Listen, friends, that's why God wrote it the way that he did. He could have just said, hey, by the way, I did this. And we just move on to the next thing. The miracles are not done yet. And I think some of the miracles we actually miss on what's happening here. The people pass over. They're opposite Jericho. Jericho. Two million people passing over, even if it's the water's gone. Listen, that, that has got to be a mess. Unless you're God, because verse 17. Now the priest, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on what kind of ground? ho, 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 ho. ho, 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 ho. I realize I may not be that smart of an individual, but I know this. If the water disappears, it's mushy. Am I right? That's a technical term. And there are shrubbery that, in that area from a foot to two to five feet tall all through this. It's just nasty territory to walk through at this time. And God has not just made the river go away. God has dried the entire bed of the river under it. Are you crazy kidding me? No, I'm not. Because there's no way that two million people could cross over muddy, mushy, yucky ground. I mean, that's where I want to be in the front line, not in the back, because it's going to be Spartan race in the back by the time they get there trying to get through it. But God knows that. So God just makes the whole thing, not only just the river go away, but He makes the whole underbed solid enough for a couple million people with their kids and all their stuff and the tabernacle and everything else to be able just to go and walk right across. And again, can you imagine being one of the guys carrying the ark, and you get there and the water disappears, and, and, and then I don't know what happens when the water's there, is there like mud between your toes and then it thickens, or is it like it doesn't happen and then it's all there, but I am telling you, you are experiencing God do a miracle right in front of you that is unexplainable. And can I not say in an encounter like that with God, would that not change your view of God? I mean, even the reason I bring up the toes is because even God has changed how your toes feel, God. The priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground And just so we make sure we understand, in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel passed over on dry ground. Friends, that is a miracle. Until all the nation finished passing passing over the Jordan. By the way, go to chapter 4, look at verse 15. Because the story is not quite over. And the Lord said to Joshua, "Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan." Bless those guys' heart. Seriously, how long were they there? I mean, you, you're not not your one shoulder, whichever side you're carrying it? Are you not like, come on, man? And might I even say this seriously? Might God have even done a miracle in that? In just allowing them to stand there for however long it took. I have no idea. Maybe it did hurt. Maybe their muscles were worn. I have no idea. But God sustained them. Command the priest of the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. I wonder if they wanted to go out. But then I wonder if they were thinking about when's the water coming back? (laughs) Verse 17, so Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant came on the midst, from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, in other words, on normally dry ground, the waters of the Jordan River returned to their place and overflowed all its banks. By the way, that's another comment that this was at flood stage. Oh, and by the way, can you imagine that? So here you are, you cross over, and I'll look at you this time. And so you're coming across, you're on the other side, you've got the ark, you come up, you step on dry ground. And what, like what, what went down right there? Are, are you then taking a look upstream, and are you right there at that moment, beginning to see the water starting to come back? I, I don't know. Or were they able to like get up, set it down, turn around, and then boom, God bring. Listen, I'm telling you, friends, God is so in the timing of all the details and he's bringing them back, he's setting them on the other side, they're on this other side, and all of a sudden the water comes back. And might he even say that there's a bit of a physical representation of what is now the reality? We are now on a new territory, and we are cut off from what is done and over. And can you imagine being on this side and looking west, and looking south, and looking north, and you don't know anything about this territory. You know zip squad about it. You don't have GPS, you don't have a map, you don't have anything. And the emotions of what's going on. And yet the river just comes flowing back, and this marvelous reminder that God's presence is in it all. And we are on this side in uncharted territories. By the way, on the other side of the river, God had been doing a work for decades. Uh, Is there maybe a a little bit of some implications for us right now? I would suggest yes. I think this 10-year time point is a... We're on the other side of Jordan, and we have a choice to make. Are we just going to be about what's been? Or is there a whole new endeavor ahead? And I vote for the latter thankful for what the Lord has done. And all that the Lord has done has grand implications for how the Lord got us to where we are and where we are. By the way, all that the Lord has done has grand implications for what is about to take place. But we are kind of on this side of 10 years and we're turning a corner today into the next 10 years. And we look, uh, if you will, west and we look south and we look north. I- I've, I've, never, I've never done this past 10 years. I- I've never done the pre- prior 10 years. This is the first Time as a senior pastor, it's the first time as being part of a church plant that grows into more people than, than, than what we started with. And, and this is the first time, I'm telling you, friends, this is a learning endeavor. And this is the kind of thing where we know this, though, today. We look back and God has been in on it. In fact, God has led it, God has fronted it, God has shown himself great. And if you're brand new here, I just want for you to know, you step into a room with a whole bunch of people that are awed by what God has done. Not by what any man, not by what any woman, not by any people what they have done, but by what God has done. And the reality to those people is they're fired up that God has done a work and now we're on the other side of the Jordan and it's time to go. And it's time to move. And it's time to continue. And also, I'll say this and it's time to learn more. And it's time to be patient. And it's time to work together, knowing what God has done and knowing what God could do. Just a couple more verses. Verse 19, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Who cares? Why is that important? Because Exodus chapter 12, verses one through three, on the 10th day, of the first month, you're to sacrifice a lamb. And you are to paint the blood over the doorframes of your houses. And I will pass over. Do you realize this? To the very day God had them cross the very day that God did the Passover in Exodus 12, when their great-grandparents and parents were, 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 were in Egypt, God, to that very day, had them cross. Loved ones, God is in the details. And even a celebration of 10 years and the dink of not even knowing that literally remembering that I preached this passage on a five-year anniversary. And all the implications of this at this time and even, I'll just say, and even what God has done over this weekend. I look forward to telling you more about it at future time. Oh my what God has done. More encounters with the Lord. And Lord, we adore you. We are in awe of you. We are stunned by you. We are amazed by you. We behold you and, and, and we, we sit here, we stand here on this day and, and we at times struggle on how to process. What are we to process? And yet, God, even in the timing of this text having to come on this day, oh my goodness. We are a frail people. And yet you work and you use and you do amazing, impressive things. And this is a time and a day when we are to reflect upon what you have done. And we look back and we see that what you have done in the past, but God, we know that the past is, is what you have done is a reminder of what you are doing in our present. And, and the past and the present is a reminder that you are before God. You are in front of God. We, we are not lo- alone people walking on our own, doing our own thing. Oh, God, if that ever happens, just shut this place down. If it becomes about our glory, oh, God, just shut this place down. God, we want this place to be about your glory, right, church? Church? We want this to be, Lord, about the fame of your name, Lord. Right, church? We want this to be about us coming in closer encounter with you and you doing a work among us and you doing a work out of us and around us and through us and beyond us. Right, church? And God, we want for you to expand you. We are not concerned about expanding ourselves, God. Oh, please, please spare us from ourselves. But God, we are passionate and we are serious about wanting to expand you. More of you, Lord, more of you. And God, I pray that for the churches in our area as well. Oh, God, might you expand the gospel to people who don't know it, who are without hope, who don't know of an encounter with God to where they can become redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ. And God, might we be fired up about it? Might we be cranked up about it? Because, oh my word, you are a God that is at work. And we live in a world that is looking for a God at work. And you are that God. And God, your word is filled with encounters with you. And those encounters are to be our encounters. For you say at the end of Joshua 20, Or Joshua 4. So that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. That's why you dried it up. That's why you had them pass over. And that's who you are. God, thank you for what you've done in these past ten years. Oh, face down, jaws to the ground, adoring you. Oh, my. More for your glory, we pray. More for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name.